and welcome to Outrage and Optimism. My name's Tom Rivet Karnak. I'm Cristiana Figueres. And I'm Paul Dickinson. So, hi everyone, it's Tom here. It's great to be back after a couple of weeks of rest away with my family and to confirm to you that I am not, despite Christiana's completely unfair assertion, either in jail or under the responsibility of the authorities here in the UK. Um, I did in fact finish my holiday a few days ago uh, down in Cornwall and actually stopped off on the way home uh, in Plymouth to see Greta and wish her well on her sail across the Atlantic. Uh, it was amazing to go down and see the setup, this amazing boat, um, to see her. She just seemed in such good spirits to kind of get going. And amazing that the trip is already almost halfway done. And she is right now mid-Atlantic and speeding towards New York. Um, the interest that trip is generating is just fantastic. And it's really building the energy for what has to be a breakthrough summit at the UN in September. But much more on that in the weeks to come. For now, I'm so happy to be back talking to you. I hope everyone in the Northern Hemisphere and indeed everywhere else who, who was able to has been able to have some time off. We'll be bringing you your usual episode of Outrage and Optimism on Thursday. And I'm looking forward to seeing Paul and Christiana tomorrow to record that. And we'll also be speaking with a personal hero of mine, Bill Nye, the science guy, uh, who ran for years the, that pro, a program of that name in the US and is just the most remarkable communicator of science. He's passionate. He's effective advocate for adhering to science in many different forms. Climate science, of course, being a major part of that. He'll be joining us this week. So please do join us uh, on Thursday. But just for today, we're bringing you something different, which is our third bonus episode. Christiana, Paul and I have been doing various bits of media around the world to promote the pod. And today we're sharing one of those conversations in which we were interviewed. It was the last time we were together. We were in London and we'd had a full day of recording. We'd been out for a walk, we'd been out for dinner. And then we just got back in the evening and the BBC called us. Um, really hope you enjoy it. I think it's a good interview and a useful conversation and look forward to seeing you. Please join us on Thursday. Great to be back. digital bbc sounds smart speaker and online this is bbc radio five live i've been lucky enough to interview the people behind our next environmental podcast it's called outrage and optimism it's presented by three campaigners who've worked with governments and the un at very high levels christiana figueres tom rivet karnak and paul dickinson all three were involved in bringing governments together for the 2015 Paris Agreement on Climate Change. And I spoke to all three of them earlier. We began by listening to Christiana Figueres in conversation with Sir David Attenborough. They have definitely understood the seriousness of climate change and the seriousness of non-action or delayed action on climate change. Do you think that their outrage is justified? And should they have any sense of optimism in addition to their outrage? Well, I think the outrage was certainly justified. There's no doubt about that. Um, and uh, there will be cynics who try and dismiss them and say, oh, they don't understand about the world and the way it works. Um, but young people, it's true, uh, lack, may lack experience, but they also have clear sight. Mm -hmm. uh, and they can see perhaps more clearly than, 
the rest of us who've been around for some time and are concerned about all conditional clauses and uh, oh, on the other hand and that sort of stuff. But people of their age see it very clearly mm-hmm. uh, and we older ones should uh, take notice of what they say. I, I, I find it enormously encouraging that mm-hmm. that is so and that they understand uh, the simple... Um, the simple dependencies, the simple discoveries of science about our dependence upon the natural world and our place within it. Uh, and that is, that, that is the, the, the one big reason I have, anyway, of feeling that we are making progress. If we weren't making progress with young people, we are done. So David Attenborough there talking to Christiana Figueres on the environmental podcast called Outrage and Optimism. Delighted to say, Christiana joins me now. Welcome, Christiana. Thank you, Claire. Thank you for inviting all three of us. Well, yes, you say three because we, we have your co-hosts as well, Tom Rivet-Karnak and Paul Dickinson. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you. And I'd just like to say you don't just all hang out together all the time. You are about to record your podcast. So fortuitously for us, you're all together. But we do still hang out together as well when we're not even doing podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> you just get along, you just rub along well, which is why your podcast is such a fantastic listen. Tell me how the three of you came together then. Christiana, whose who's big idea was it? Well, you know, I don't, was it Tom's idea? I think it was Tom's idea originally, but we've known each other for about two eons. Um, so uh, Tom tells the story that... Paul and I are the only two real bosses that he's ever had, which I'm sure is absolutely a fallacy, but that's the way he tells the story. But all three of us have been working on climate change in different roles for many, many years and have become uh, also very good friends. And so we enjoy doing the podcast first because uh, we are bringing quite a few different views to uh, hopefully new listeners, but also, frankly, because we just enjoy hanging out together. Let's let's ask you then, Tom and Paul, t- tell us what you've been doing then. How have the three of you been moving in the same circles? Tom? Well, so I worked with uh, uh, my first job was with Paul at CDP. So he hired me many years ago to come and work on climate change. And then more recently, I worked with Christiana at the UN on the Paris Agreement. She actually hired me and told me that I had none of the skills or experience necessary to do the job, but she had a good feeling about it, so she'd hire me anyway. <laughs> it's worked out, hasn't it? Paul, tell, tell us what you've been up to then. Why, why, what have you been working in which particular aspect of all of this? Well, I've been spending about the last 19 years um, with in big investors and getting big investors to get big businesses around the world to kind of report on their actions on climate change, 7,000 last year. And I was always keen that those businesses would kind of support the intergovernmental process. So it was a great honor for me to have uh, the privilege of, of, of um, supporting Christiana, as many thousands of other people did, to get the groundbreaking Paris Agreement in 2015. Because you are the woman, Christiana, who basically pushed this through. That's not underestimating what you managed to achieve with the the Paris Climate Change Agreement, is it? Well, the fact is, Claire, uh, many people say that, but that actually does not correspond to the fact. 
The fact is that there were thousands and thousands of people who really worked very, very hard for years. And the strength of the Paris Agreement is precisely the collective wisdom and the collective leadership that went into it. Had it been the brainchild of one person, independently of who that person would have been, it would have been a very weak agreement and it would have fallen by now. The strength is that it came from a very deep and long collective effort. Tom, is she being too modest? No, she pushed it through. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with friends like this, support me. But I mean, it's true, isn't it? Because it, it faltered. There was take us back, Christ, Christiana. There, there was an attempt to, to make this happen, and it didn't happen. What failed before we got to Paris? Well, many things, right? Uh, when when you're trying to do something that is as uh, far-reaching and as transformational as getting a unanimous agreement of 195 governments who stand on very, very different ground with very different stances, with very different national interests, and get them to agree unanimously to turn the uh, evolution of their economy in one single direction by one single date, then obviously there are many, many things that go wrong along the way. Uh, But we were very much uh, aware of the fact that we needed a global framework to guide the evolution of the global economy. We were also very aware that that global framework wouldn't be sufficient, that we would have to also implement it, but that it was absolutely necessary. So one of the things that we started to do from the very beginning was to change the global mood because we took over in 2010, right on the heels of a disaster of the United Nations, the Copenhagen uh, meeting, which I call the most successful uh, failure of the UN, because we learned a lot from it. Uh, but we had to change the global mood. It was a very, very bad mood in 2009 and the beginning of 2010. And then we had to infuse optimism and confidence and trust for countries to even come together to the table again and talk to each other. And if we were going to have a kind of mini version of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, it would be the three of you, wouldn't it, really? Because you kind of represent everybody that needs to get talking together to sort this out because it is about government, it is about policy, it is about industry and private interests as as well, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, absolutely that's the case. It is about all of those different pieces coming together. I hadn't thought of the three of us as a mini uh, United Nations Climate Convention. That's an interesting thought. I think we'd need to have a few more uh, slightly pedantic and vociferous opposition voices, but maybe we can invite them on as guests. I <laughs> think you just get get on with it, get it sorted out. Because there is so much to talk about, isn't there? Because particularly, and I, you know, I listened to one of your most recent podcasts with what's going on under the Trump administration uh, at the moment. I mean, Tom, if you you want to fill us in on how certain policy decisions have gone backwards, haven't they? No, they they absolutely have. And um, I think what's perhaps even more alarming than that, and, and you're right, we had Gina McCarthy, the former administrator of the EPA, on just last week. And she talked about this sort of unbelievable undermining of science that's going on inside the administration and how anybody who is adhering to scientific processes or honesty uh, in those institutions is sort of uh, kind of being targeted and, and, and their lives are made difficult. And it's, it's, it's very alarming and upsetting what's happening. Um, but we just have to say, well, just, many- just remind us what the EPA is. 
oh, sorry, the Environmental Protection Agency mm-hmm. that sort of um, formally implemented all the rules that would actually keep the air clean and keep the water clean. Um, I mean, fortunately, um, the US being what it is at the state level and the city level, there are fantastic people still working and implementing good policies. But at the national level, it is something of a disaster at the moment. Why is that then? Why? I mean, because because fossil fuels, it, it seems to be a shrinking industry. There's a lot of automation coming in. So why is it that the administration is supporting that and not taking the long term view? Why do you think that is? I'm going to actually speak here about uh, money, financial interest. You know, there are lots of industries that will kind of benefit from regulation, most industries, but they're not typically the ones who put their hands in their pocket and pull out lobbying dollars. It's those industries that are threatened that will really pull out substantial amounts of money and then they will essentially buy themselves political influence and come up with outcomes that are against the sort of national interest. And it's just to add to that, I mean, it's fascinating that there's actually very few jobs left in coal in the US, but it's still being prioritized to such a degree and i think that underlines what paul just said it's it's about money and politics and it's it's a subversion of what should be happening mm. and of course obviously uh, christiana president trump saying uh well i think we'll leave paris what what did you feel like when you heard that well you know i remember the moment very very clearly because uh, i was traveling but i knew that he was going to come out uh, and say something so i sat myself in front of a television screen with a piece of paper and a pen and i said to myself right every time that he says something that is correct i'm going to write it down <laughs> and i finished with a completely blank piece of paper uh, because he was so in- ill-informed uh, and he just totally refuses to understand any science or in fact any fact and that's really sad you know i'm i'm not a us citizen i'm a very proud Costa Rican citizen. But I lived in the United States for 20 years and I highly respect that country and those and those citizens. And honestly, uh, Mr. Trump has made a, a ridicule out of that country. It's not being taken seriously in most international spheres because there is just no 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 ground. There there is no veracity um, in so many of uh, of his positions. So I I think actually it's it's a quite a sad um, situation. Internationally, you have noticed that there are barely any countries that are following that very poor example. Unfortunately, fortunately, uh, we have quite a few countries that are continuing to decarbonize, in fact, at an exponential rate, like China, like India, like Mexico, like Chile, um, because they understand that it's good for their economy. So, you know, no matter what uh, what he does, he's definitely not going to stop uh, the advance of the Paris Agreement, which brings me back to my very first point, that the strength of it is that it was collectively developed. And that is the kind of level of expertise and insight uh, you get on the podcast, the environment podcast called Outrage and Optimism. That's Christiana Figueres, who is the woman who we heard there. I think her colleagues were saying, yeah, she was the one. She was the one who pushed the Paris climate change agreement over the line. So it's, it's a good pick. And Hannah, we've loved your picks this evening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Uh, Hannah J. Davis there, who's a freelance culture journalist and Guardian podcast reviewer. Uh, you can find Drill and Wardrobe Crisis and Five Lives at Beast of Man uh, from wherever you get your normal podcast, your podcast platform. Uh, you can hear part two of my interview with the hosts of that po- podcast, Outrage and Optimism. That's coming up straight after the latest news. 
On digital, BBC Sounds, smart speaker and online. This is BBC Radio 5 Live. Uh, Let's return now to uh, the conversation I had with the creators of the podcast Outrage and Optimism. I was talking to Cristiana Figueres and the team who managed to secure an interview with the outgoing uh, Prime Minister Theresa May. It's an environmental podcast and she wanted to talk to Theresa May because of her commitment to zero carbon emissions. Uh, I asked Christiana how they managed it. Well, we just called her and said, would she like to come on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> You've got clout. <laughs> but, um, you know, it really is quite interesting. Right, because at that point, and in fact now, she has very little political capital left. And we thought it was very interesting and actually quite powerful that she decided to use the rest of her political capital uh, on climate change and to push forward a position that um, that still is a pretty unique position. There are a few other countries, European countries, that have put forward a 2050 net zero target, but the UK would be the first G seven country, the first, certainly not the last. And so we thought it was very interesting that she chose that clearly thinking of legacy, thinking of history writing. Um, I guarantee you that 20, 30 years from now, no one will remember what the backstop was, but everyone will remember what we're doing on climate change and everybody will be talking about that. So she was very, I think, very visionary in saying, right, you know, let's let's really think about long-term here, post-Brexit, post with or without Brexit, uh, what, does, uh, what does Theresa May want to be known for in history? And so we really wanted to acknowledge uh, that she was doing that. And it was a fascinating insight, and I haven't heard this anywhere else before, the personal story that she told you on the podcast about how it hit home to her. It was when she was on holiday with her husband, wasn't it? Yes, and you know she's, she's not known her being a vulnerable person or showing her personal side. Um, and so, you know, we were all sort of out of breath when she said, well, Christiane, I'm going to tell you a very personal story. You can imagine we all sort of held our breath to hear what she was going to say. Um, but I thought it was quite touching that she would, you know, um, that she would um, base her policy on something that she is observing personally. Um, and I also thought that it is quite telling that in the UK, in the UK, this is not a partisan issue. She got 200 MPs to support her on this. She got scientists, she got civil society, she got, you know, everyone to support her. Um, and, and it just shows that if we understand what climate change is, it is not a divisive issue. It should increasingly be a unifying issue, which is important for the world. It's also important for the UK, Claire, because the UK hasn't been totally confirmed, but it is most likely that the UK will host the next conference of the parties, which are these mammoth UN meetings, next year in 2020. And 2020 is going to be, for the climate process, is going to be just as big as 2015 was. So it is coming home. Well, that's amazing. And, and you heard it here first. And Tom and Paul as well. Um, it is interesting, isn't it, that, that she made such a bold statement. We started this interview off hearing a clip of Sir David Attenborough, who was talking to Christiana, asking about what he feels about the energy that's come from young people in this country and indeed all over the world, leaving school, making their voices heard on this. Does that give you hope? 
Tom? Yeah, yes, it, it absolutely does. And I think that um, we, had, we had Greta Thunberg on the podcast a few, a few weeks ago as well. And we talked to her about the motivations behind the school strikes. And, you know, she's a really remarkable leader, as, as so many people know now, having, and everybody's responded so, so um, impressively to the authenticity that she has generated. And, and, and really, it's kind of changed the world. And what's happened in the UK, you know, there were many different inputs to that. But I don't think it's separate from the fact that young people have really found this moment to find their voices. And I think it's just the beginning. I think we'll see this go further and further. I think it will become a new normal and it will just build more and more. Can, can I just say, Tom, that in the UK, it's definitely the young people, but it was also Extinction Rebellion. That's true. Yeah. You know, very specifically, yes, Extinction Rebellion exists in other countries, but here was definitely the focus of their of their pressure, of their civil disobedience. And, uh, and I think we're seeing results from that. Paul, what do you think they, they did so right then? Well, you know, it, in sometimes things have to get kind of crystallized before they really work. Uh, if you look back, you know, we've had terrible discrimination on race. We've had, you know, women didn't get the vote until 100 years ago or something. But then you, you realize discrimination on grounds of gender is unacceptable. Discrimination on grounds of race is unacceptable. Uh, I used to work on lesbian and gay equality. Discrimination is just a terrible thing. Well, guess what? The young people have realized that inaction on climate change is dis discrimination against children. And the outrage of that has suddenly become apparent to the world. And it's just wonderful to see this great uprising of, of concern, of care, and to see how far societies can move. You know, it's, a, it's an incredibly exciting time for climate change. And you all sound so passionate about this. I'm just wondering what the spark was in all of you that, that sent you on this path. Christiana? Well, for me, it's the fact that I have two fantastic daughters that are in their early 30s. Um, and I just believe that the terms of reference of any mother or father, any parent, is to give a world to children that is actually better than the world that you have received. And that's clearly not what we have right now. So I felt that I was not complying with my terms of reference and that I had to do something to revert the uh, the trajectory that we were on or are still on of a diminished world that I would turn over to my daughters with respect to the world that I inherited from my parents. So I am doing it because of my daughters who represent certainly the most important thing to me, but they represent all future generations. No matter where children are born, no matter what generation, my daughters represent to me the future of the world. Tom, how about you? Well, I, so I'm a, I'm a parent now as well. And so that, you know, that's a huge motivator for me. But um, growing up, actually, my, uh, my father is a petroleum geologist. So I grew up um, traveling around the world looking for oil. And I saw some of the impacts of that and some of the downside that, that can create. And I think that created in me at a young age, a kind of desire to do something really different. And that's just led me on step by step. So you've and had a full uh, 180, haven't you? Tom. We can probably let him off just about. But, um, <laughs> you know, I didn't know me, any better back then. I was, I, I was only seven. <laughs> although he did drill part time. <laughs> <laughs> On the weekends, it was just a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, yeah. what about you? Small world, small world. <laughs> I was born 20 years after World War II, and I grew up, you know, sticking together like airfix models of Spitfires and stuff. And, you know, it kind of in the many ways, the UK kind of had a good war, you know, near Churchill and blah, blah, blah. And there are all these war memorials that sort of say, lest we forget. But if you look at the graphs and charts about the potential 
potential impacts of climate change and the losses of life that there may be in due course, I think we're betraying some of the brave people in our past. You know, I think we have forgotten what it is to have duty and care for others and to make sacrifice to protect people. And that's what motivates me is the sort of dignity of those who've gone before. Well, I just the passion in all of your voices is is magnetic. It really is, and it comes through on the podcast as well. If you were Christiana, give the final word to you. If you were to say one thing to people listening to this, who dip in and out of it, see environment issues on the news, it comes and it goes. They know they should be doing something, but generally, they're not really changing their lives. Why should they? Why is it important? We all need to understand that climate change is not in the future, it's in the present. It's not in someone else's backyard, it's in your own backyard. Um, And that right now we're in an emergency because we are literally, Claire, literally, as we speak, collectively, not individually, but collectively, we are deciding over the next 10 years what the quality of life is going to be on this planet for everyone for everyone, for at least 100 years, if not more. That is a huge responsibility that mankind has never had on its shoulders. We are the first adults alive on this planet that have that responsibility and that have that opportunity to actually decide what the world is going to be like for seven generations down the line. And we have to wake up to that. We have to wake up to the emergency of it. We have to wake up to the responsibility and certainly to the magnificent opportunity that we've been given to do something that has such a long-term impact and can be incredibly beneficial. Finally then, to all three of you, a one-word answer, if you wouldn't mind. Outraged or optimistic? Tom? Ooh. I I am I I am I am outraged, but I'm more optimistic. Okay, it's hard, isn't it, Paul? Where, where are you? Where are you on that spectrum at the moment? Absolutely, hundred percent optimistic. Christiana, optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> nice fudge, nice fudge at the end. Fantastic to talk to all of you. The podcast is outrage and optimism. It's a must listen. Go and go and give it a go. 